Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I am your host, Jordan Rodrigue, and with me, as always, my fabulous co-host, Rich Hammond. Rich, how we doing? Jordan, I've got a fun fact for you. Ooh, tell me. Just since the start of this podcast, Aaron Donald has recorded two more sacks. Holy moly. That's not surprising at all, actually. (laughs) (laughs) How about that performance? That was just amazing. I mean, I know that we sort of get into this habit of just getting used to him in a way, which is so weird to say because every single week it's something different that's just remarkable that he's doing um, and just and just conducting himself so calmly in normal life. Like, yeah, I'm a superhuman, um, but everything else is normal. And and so you kind of just get used to him in a way and then you see him move or do any of the things that he did, including just throwing people around like like ragdolls, throwing 300 pound men around like ragdolls against Washington last week. And I just there are there are no words. And, and Sean McVeigh, I asked him at one point earlier this year since there are no words left to describe Aaron Donald, what word would you make up for him? And he just made like a noise. (laughs) It just, there's nothing left to say about this guy. I mean, he is just unbelievable, but then you watch it and it's, it's the most believable unbelievability. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, there really is no good way to put words to it. I mean, what we're talking about here, of course, four sacks in uh, this past Sunday's Rams victory over Washington. The Rams finished with eight sacks. Is that correct? Eight sacks. uh, Which was their most in a game since 2014. Their their most under uh, Sean McVay and and, uh, going back quite a long time. Jordan, I, I want to start by asking you something, and and I almost hope that we disagree because I, I would <laughs> oh. I, I would like to get I, I honestly would like to get like a smart football take on this on the other side of it. Okay, Aaron Donald was not the defensive player of the year last year, and really didn't even come close in the voting. Um, I contend that as long as this guy is putting on a uniform, he should be, I'm not saying he should win the award every year, but he should be in the top three. Um, to, to see the standard that he has set, to see him be so far above the other players at his position, I just don't know how you could, I think he got one vote last year. And and to me, I don't understand how that happens. Is that... Is that justified in your mind, or, or how how do you think that went? Why would you think I would disagree with you on this? Well, I don't because <laughs> apparently every apparently like however, however many uh, uh, media voters there were. Look, what Gilmore got twenty one votes last year. Chandler Jones got fourteen. T.J. Watt ten. Shaq Barrett two. And then you get down to Hunter White and Aaron Donald with one vote. And I'm going, well, you know, I'm not saying that you would, but I'm just saying, how can that many people watch what Aaron Donald does and say, nah, there's there's a lot better defensive players than that guy? There, I have, I'm so glad that you brought this up as sort of our opening because I have so many theories on this and I don't, I think they're educated theories, first of all. Uh, okay. what, what do I like to say? Educated speculation. Right. And 
which is to say speculation with some knowledge behind it. (laughs) Um, So first of all, I don't think that a lot of voters in that regard were watching the Rams or are watching the Rams when they're not making the, you know, making the playoffs that, that that's part of it. That sort of recency bias and outlier bias are two major, major factors to me not just in the human brain, but also as it pertains specifically to player of the year voting, MVP voting, uh, outlier bias, meaning whoever is sexiest last is the last in your mind and you're going to vote for that person. And it doesn't matter if they've put up a fantastic resume, a really solid resume week after week after week. What matters is who is among you know the the best left standing? Who who is the outlier? Who's the guy that is sort of this fun surprise that you know has always been good, but now he's putting up really good stats, and so this time we're going to vote for him. Who's on the playoff team? Um, you know, I I argued that Christian McCaffrey should have been in the MVP contention, but. The problem was he was on a terrible football team. He did something that only three other running backs have done in, in the history of football last year, but was on a terrible playoff or excuse me, was on a terrible Panthers team. And also, despite putting up those numbers that he did, you know, with the thousand thousand season, it didn't carry and lift the team to those wins. But I don't think that you can make the same argument with Aaron Donald because Aaron Donald Basically, when the apocalypse hits, I want Aaron Donald on my team. Like right. ev- everything will crum- be crumbling into the ocean, and Aaron Donald will somehow find a way to hold the f- the car with all the family inside and walk it to safety. Like he will be that person for any football team that is facing certain devastation and certain doom. He will be the one factor who can kind of hold everything together that you can still account for. And the Rams weren't even bad last year. I mean, they were what they are now, but they were still, man, I've covered some bad football teams. (laughs) Like they they weren't even, so, okay. At the risk, at the risk of ranting. So I think those two biases are very much in play here. I also don't think that a lot of people, and, and this is something that I think is a constant work in progress and it should be a constant work of progress internally as it, especially in this position profession, how to watch football and how to <laughs> how to watch defensive football how to isolate particular candidates and go back and really really study but not just studying like how many sacks someone has that is such a useless statistic right. it is fab it's fabulous for the rams on paper that they're tied for the lead in the nfl in sacks right now with the steelers who are like bringing the pressure on blitzes and all these exotic things and doing all this kind of thing and the rams are not and they're tied with them right now for sacks with 20 that's great on paper what really really matters is what is this person doing to be a catalytic factor in the national football league and when you get into how do football teams evaluate players how do football teams watch football games and evaluate what the impact of this player is, you really can narrow it down to maybe four players across the league who are at the level of catalytic factor. One of them is Pat Mahomes. Obviously, Aaron Donald is another one. And then I'm sure we could have a fantastic argument about the last two. Right. 
right? right. But but that's that's the thing. I don't think I think that there is a really sort of archaic system in place in terms of you know how are you and I can't I'm obviously not going to speak for everybody, but the game is so has changed. There's so much available on right. film to see clearly. Um, and then to study the ways that that teams and coaches and players are are actually watching this game, and analysts are watching this game, and then applying that same uh, level of measurement and those same data points into your own vote. I don't think that's happening. I just don't. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't either. Um, and it's it's been a long time since I've voted on I've never voted on NFL awards I, I used to vote on some NHL awards and it's it's not easy because uh, especially in a sport like that you don't you don't get to watch every game and, and every you know play of every player certainly but the, the way I look at it is and and I think the way I would apply it to Aaron Donald in in this particular award is look at the individual positions right like Gilmore wins the award last year very very good cornerback but how much better is he than the number two cornerback in the NFL versus how much better is Aaron Donald than the number two defensive tackle in the NFL? And I don't think that's close. Uh, I, I think you you can look at them against their peers. How do, how do they change the game versus somebody who plays the same position? And I just don't think it's close right now. I, I think when you, when you look at a, a player, especially an interior lineman like that, who can just dictate a game. Um, I mean, look, you're going to have to talk to somebody who's watched a lot more football than I have. But I mean, I think he's on a short list already in in terms of uh, somebody who can just dominate a game from that interior spot. And, uh, you know, again, it it just kind of baffles me. I I think people do look at the sacks and, and maybe that's what happened last year a little bit too, is he wins the award in 2018 when he gets 20 and a half sacks last year, he gets 12 and a half, which 12 and a half sacks for an in- interior defensive lineman is ridiculous. Like, right. it, and I, I, I totally agree with you that sacks shouldn't be, uh, you know, a, a number that you just look at to, to, to vote on this award. But obviously it is the big number that people look at. And for, for him to get that total is ridiculous. Um, and, and now he, he's kind of passed that by who knows what game, uh, uh, this season, but anyway, like I, I just, well, it's, it's the outlier bias. 20 and a half was his outlier bias. And right. he, he won that award that year for many, many reasons, but I would guarantee you that the defining factor in the brains of voters operating under standard human conditions was that outlier bias of sacks of those sacks. Yeah. When yeah. that should not, I mean, it's obviously a factor. It shouldn't be the defining factor of your vote. And so therefore, when he has the drop off, you all of a sudden are missing that sort of boost of uh, whatever the chemical is in your brain, uh, the dopamine or whatever, when you see that number and you're like, right. oh, he, he's he's having a down year. Oh, my God. Just beat me over the head with a stick. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Good. Yeah. Like I can't, I cannot. And so yeah. I, I think, and then I think part of the mistake, what you said about the, like, I get it. NHL, NBA, MLB, you're a voter. That is, I mean, it's a, it's a hard job, whatever, all the time. It's a really difficult job. I don't think there is the sole, sort of 
couldn't watch all the games excuse when you're dealing with your top candidate pool and you have 16 16 plus maybe four tops, five tops games, and you are dealing with maybe three candidates at that position, um, you can go back and watch their tape. (laughs) I'm not saying you, Rich. I know you would, Rich, if you were like, I'm not saying you. You know, I always get stuck doing this. I use the the colloquial you, and then I'm like yelling at you. So I'm not really really doing that. I don't take it personally. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, turn on NFL Network. I mean, they're showing highlights ad nauseum. I mean, you can can turn on any day and and see what's going on. You can can go on Game Pass and, and watch a condensed game in what, like a half hour? or something like that. I mean, it's not, it's not very hard to do, but, uh, yeah, anyway, that, that was my, that was my rant, uh, uh, to start the game with, but my goodness, I mean, and, and, and talking about this game in particular, people will say, well, Washington, you know, terrible football team. I, I don't care. I mean, that's still an NFL football team. Those are still grown men out there, 300 pound plus, uh, men who, who he's just kind of tossing and, and pushing around. So, uh, you know, Jordan, we, we got to watch that game from the from the comfort of our of our dry homes. Uh, we didn't have to go to uh, Landover and and uh, sit in in what looked to be a, a monsoon at, at times out there. But uh, good win for the Rams, I think. Uh, you know, not uh, not overwhelming, but it didn't need to be. I don't think did it. Yeah, they they did the things they needed to do. They executed them correctly. They limited their their own mistakes. I know Jared Goff had the interception um, maybe looked a little bit like the ball slipped out of his hand. It was pretty damp out there. And then there was a missed fourth down conversion that I think was also due to the elements that got away from Robert Woods. Um, Other than that, though, really? Oh, and uh, (laughs) we'll get to this. Missed point after attempt by a one Samuel Sloman. Uh Um, But, you know, I, I really, other than that, they really executed the things that they needed to do correctly. They did them well. Um, you know, I, I thought this was a, a decisive win. You know, I, I really don't care like what you said. Yes, you can make the argument that the Washington football team offensive line and their protection was just not great, but also triple teaming Aaron Donald, like, and he's still doing his thing. I mean, you, you're just on a, it's, that's what, 900 pounds of weight that you're moving around. Like, I'm sorry. I just like, I'm not going to dwell on this for too long, but like, that's just ridiculous. Um, in a, in a good way. And so, yeah, you know, I think it was a decisive win. It it comes against obviously a team very much in transition, but those are the games you have to win. You literally beat yourself up for weeks. If you don't win a game like that, it's almost one of those things where, you know going into it that you should win and that you should do it decisively. And this was finally the one where it could have been sort of the trap game that they fell into with the Giants and that it made it a little bit too close for comfort. But a decisive win like this, it's a little bit of a palate cleanser. It doesn't really matter who the team is. Uh, you know, at a certain point, you could use I, – I hate to disrespect another team like this, but you could use it as sort of a get-right game – um, which, which, you know, teams tend to do against maybe teams like the Jets should do against the Giants, but they didn't. So this was kind of their get right game in, in that situation. You know, they were super productive. Jared Goff, 21 for 30, 309 yards, two touchdowns through the interception. Only really two questionable throws the entire time. 
So he did, you know, it, it just, oh, and a terrible spike. But again, <laughs> conditions were terrible out there. So that's, you know, that's maybe could be. Uh, sure. Know. That was the problem. Yeah. I, yeah, I was definitely. joking on Twitter that uh, we heard in 2016 about how Jared was going to be a failure because he had small hands. So uh, clearly that's what was going on there. He's just the, the Rams made a mistake in drafting him because he can't even spike a football correctly. But uh, that was a, a great moment uh, that I'm sure will be replayed uh, over and over. The Rams, even on their own Twitter account, have been having fun with it. So that's that's good to see. But I guess that's easy to do when you're four and one. Right. And, uh, yeah. you know, we, I think we talked about it, Jordan. It's it's you said it, it was taking care of business and uh, they should be four and one right now with the schedule that they've played. Uh, it's, it wasn't easy in terms of the travel. They handled themselves very well, uh, having to make three East coast trips uh, in, in those first five weeks and uh, you know, not, not easy situations, but uh, I, again, I, I think this is how we ended last week's podcast, but to me, it's about as good as you can ask for. I mean, certainly, yes, you'd want to be the Seattle Seahawks uh, with with a game up, and, and they're just loving life right now. But uh, given everything that the Rams have dealt with in terms of that schedule, the travel, everything else, you know, starting the season with a brand new defense that didn't get to practice together at all, uh, having some questions about offensive line, having some questions about running back, uh, there were a lot of questions marks there to where I, I think you would have said if, if they could start four and one given all of that I, I think you take that obviously you want to be five and zero, oh, but but you can't ask for a whole lot better than what they've shown for these for these first five weeks yeah I want to put this in the context too Rich because there was some debate going on in one of the comment sections of my of my recent stories and they they have beat the teams they're supposed to beat in September and so far October. There are maybe three teams in the NFL right now that are a playoff team right now. And the Buffalo Bills are one of them. Right. And so you can accept that loss, especially that's your that's your second of the of these road trips and you start slow. But so far on the other road trips you've gotten the formula down. You've beat teams that you are supposed to beat. You start to develop your identity truly into what you can do potentially in the postseason at the beginning of November. That's when you have to have that's when that's when you gotta put the meat's been marinating and that's when you gotta pop it in the smoker. Like you really November is really when a team either they are or they aren't. And so what the Rams have been able to do is lose to the team. You're never supposed to lose, but the Bills, again, they are a playoff team right now. They were in week one. And so that's a very different conversation about where they're at right now. The Rams, young team, really, I mean, superstars on either side of the the ball, but certainly a young team, brand new offensive coordinator, brand new defensive coordinator, offensive line that had played zero live snaps together since – before, I mean, even this this iteration of the offensive line, even last year, didn't get a full a lot of t- a ton of time together. You know, you you needed to win these four games that they have won so far, and just tick them off and work toward your development and your maturity. And this is right now, they're almost ready to go in the smoker. I think this is going to be a very very good football team by the time November gets here. 
And, you know, the way that the league has has sort of started to shake out, I think that there is obviously huge potential for them to do very well in their division. And you start to see where weak spots of other teams are. And for the Rams, you establish those weak spots very, very early on against teams that you know you can beat. You fix them. And then now you can be, you know, you can prepare yourself for that uh, midseason and then late season stretch. If, if that makes sense. I know I'm kind of all over the place with that description um, and maybe because I'm really hungry, but <laughs> this ah. is, this is, I mean, does it, does it make sense? Cause it really, yeah. at the, at the base of it, they're, they're beating the teams they're supposed to beat and they're doing so in a way where you, you make fixable mistakes so that you're not making them in November. Exactly. You, you can't make the playoffs in September and, and October, but you can put yourself in a really bad spot. And that's what the Rams have avoided doing here. And, uh, you know, they, they had that solid start last season. I, I think the difference is it just feels different. And, and there's not a really a way to quantify that. But some of the games that they were winning early last season, you looked at it and you went, hmm, they're just they're This is underachievement. They're not they're not playing the way that, that they should be. Whereas some of these games, you know, especially these games against the NFC East, uh, it felt like they were in control. And, and this past game against Washington on, on Sunday, uh, it, it felt that way. I know there were some bumps early. They actually trailed. But it, at no point did you ever feel like, uh-oh, the Rams are in some danger here. Like if they don't make this play or, or you know pick up this first down. I, I never felt that. I, I felt like they were pretty much in control for the, for the entire game. And uh, that's a good sign because, you know, independent of what the final score ends up being, some games are closer than others. It's it's kind of a feel thing. And, and, and I think they're getting there. Uh, I, I think it has the potential uh, to get better. And, uh, you know, Jordan, one thing that, that we saw – um, that we we hadn't seen a lot, and and you had just finished writing about it a little bit in in your uh, uh, mailbag, I believe, was the deep pass, the air yards, Woo-hoo! and uh, we finally got one right. And and what do you think that means? I mean, obviously, it looks really really nice on the highlights when you see the the the, the ball majestically soaring uh, toward toward Robert Woods, but you know what what does that what does that mean? Um, for, for an offense, you know, both, both to get it done and, and to put that on tape uh, for, for maybe other, other teams to see? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question because first and foremost, the Rams sort of have an adjusted definition of what explosive plays are. So technically, the standard of an explosive play, if it's an explosive passing play, the ball must travel 20 plus yards in the air. If it's an explosive rushing play, it's 15 plus yards on the ground. So the the Rams entering the game had only completed two of five explosive air yards passes, right? One of them went for a touchdown, which statistically I don't think is as bad as everyone, you know, thought it was, but okay. <laughs> right. I, I understand. You're not seeing it. That's fine. Um you want to you want to see the ball travel through the air. I totally get it. I am the same way. But the the way that they were sort of cataloging their explosive plays, of which they had many, was actually it explosive um, yak yard addition plays. So the ball could travel ten yards in the air, and then Robert Woods picks up another thirty, or you know even fifteen to get over right. 20, 20 yards, and that's technically categorized as 
an explosive play within the Rams system. And so it's, I always think it's interesting, the juxtaposition between like what we're asking in terms of we're asking about the vertical pass. Cause we want to, we want to know where the, the air yards are. Well, within the Rams building, they're talking about explosive plays as in, Hey, we have still stretched the field. We just did it in a different way. We did it. We did it by getting the yak yards instead of the ball traveling through the air. Now, it does do something a little bit different to the coverages. So if you have yak yards receivers, um, there's not a lot you can do to stop them. If you have uh, deep ball receivers, there's not a lot you can do to stop them. But what you can do um, usually is is um, if you're not throwing the ball deep, then you can leave your, you know, one of your, maybe your number two corner on one of the better receivers out wide on the team because you know that they're not going to be a threat and that allows you to put more players in the box to try to stop the Yak Yards receivers, if that makes sense. And on the converse, if you're able to throw the ball deep, you need to have more players in deeper coverage so you open up the middle of the field. So if you hit a couple of those passes deep like they did this last week, what you see is that the middle of the field starts to open up and and not only are you able to continue to run the ball effectively, especially with this play action, because you don't know all the time if it's going to be a run or a pass play, um, it, it opens up the middle of the field quite nicely. And then you have guys like Cooper Cup could then break off that long play that he broke off because he had so much room to operate. And then with his feet, he creates even more space as he crosses over from the right side of the field to the left. So there's not a ton of traffic for him to move through because they held it's called holding a defense accountable. They held the Washington football team accountable by unfurling that beautiful air yards play um, that went for a touchdown to Robert Woods. And then at this point, you have to play a little bit off more off the line. You have to put a couple guys back a little bit deeper because you can't let that happen to you again. Because if a team lets it happen once, they're going to probably try it again. And if they can do it all day, then it's just embarrassing. You can't do that. So, um, now I'm getting like into the weeds here, but you get the idea. And it's yeah. it's important it's important that they did it. Doing that sets up a lot of other ability to move, not just through the middle of the field and um also you know, affording other players who are not the guy who caught the first deep pass, for example, not the guy who's running the vertical routes. Other players now get into more favorable ma- matchup situations because now there's more attention on the guy who's running the vertical the vertical patterns. So it, it, it was it was smart that they did it the way they did. You also try sometimes to throw those to draw a defensive pass interference penalty, which I think two mm. weeks ago, the one to Van Jefferson, I think that's what that was. You wanted to try to move the sticks that way because you know you're having trouble stretching the field, so you try to go deep to a fast receiver to try to move downfield um, via penalty, but that didn't work for them. So now they're starting to see that part of their game pop a little bit. Teams know that it's something that they have to look for Um, So now what I think you'll see is they might um, the Rams might tighten back up a little bit and and use a bunch of those yak plays and use a bunch of that middle of the field work if teams are playing off, you know, off the line a little bit more. So it's going to be interesting to see moving forward. They they did it. They executed it very, very well. They actually threw another one (laughs) down the field, too. Um, It was 20 air yards on the dot. And what happened was it was actually Josh Reynolds caught it. And another receiver was running a vertical pattern and Josh Reynolds was able to be completely open because, because the Washington football team defense was 
very much trying to contain the vertical pass. So, uh, you know, the vertical route. So that's, you saw it directly in action within the course of one game, um, how well these, these things can work. And so, yes, you, it's like, it's like extra, I mean, God, I'm using another food reference. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like extra seasoning. It's just nice. You know, they can do it. They can do a lot of this horizontal stuff which they love to do. They can get their explosive plays with yak yards. They're very, very good at that. But you do want seasoning. You don't always want to, you know, you need to, you need to season your food, Rich. (laughs) I'm writing this down. Yeah. You got to season my food. (laughs) 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 Uh, Now I'm hungry. I want to know how things are going with the smoker. Uh, But no, I I don't want that to detract from from your point because it was, it's perfect. And and I know you, you didn't cover the Rams in, in 2017 and 2018, but it's so much of what made them a success. And, uh, you know, it goes back to, I think, maybe what I said last week or a couple of weeks ago, how I think this whole offense, this whole Rams offense is starting to look a little bit more like it did uh, a, a couple of years ago. The the one element that that's still not quite there that, that you just talked about is uh, the way that they used to use Todd Gurley in, in that pass game where they could just dump it off to him. And you talk about those yards after catch. I mean, how many times did he turn a three-yard catch or even a minus-one catch uh, into a 25-30-35? And those were such big plays for the Rams, not only for what they they did yardage-wise, but for the way that they had to be defended uh, because they would just peck away at you like that or hit you with a, with a Robert Woods you know, slant or you know, Cooper cut pass. And then, you know, they, they kind of lull you in there and then, you know, boom, play action over the top to, uh, to Sammy Watkins or to Brandon cooks. Uh, and, and then there's your big play right there. So it really was just like, you know, it, it was like a symphony almost the way that they would put it all together. And, and all of that kind of got a little off track, uh, last year. Now, the, I think the beauty of this Rams offense is that you know, Brandon cooks isn't there anymore, but you still have guys who can do that. I mean, pretty much every receiver on this on this team. You just saw Robert Woods do it. You know Cooper Cup can do it because he's done it before. Josh Reynolds can get down the field. Remember, one of the big catches of, of 2018 was Gerald Everett against the mm-hmm. Chiefs. It's just, you know, a sideline where he just got behind a, a DB or I don't know, maybe it was a linebacker. I don't remember. But he, he got down the field regardless for, for a, a huge splash play, a 40-yard play, I think. And so that was really the beauty of, of this Rams offense. And, and really, they kind of got away from it uh, uh, last year. So, yeah, it's not – I know fans get a little frustrated sometimes about like, well, why aren't you why aren't you taking the big shots? Why aren't you throwing it down the field? Well, you know, like you said, Jordan, there, there's a place for that. Maybe you try to draw a pass interference or, or, or something like that. But but you really want to do it in concert with, with all the other things that you're doing. And, and I think – I think the Rams are getting closer um, to to where they were a, a couple of years ago. Now, uh, the the one element I get again, I, I talk about that run game and uh, Jordan. I mean, where where are we with that right now? And I, I don't say that as a negative, by the way. I I, I think it's a, a positive, and I, I think it was a positive 
uh, development this week to see Cam Akers come back in and and uh, break off one fantastic run, and, and he looked pretty good uh, overall, actually. And, and by the way, please tell everybody what happened to Cam Akers because it's just – <laughs> oh my goodness! But but where, to first of all, tell people about that, and then and then where where do you think we are with that Rams run game five five games in, and, and do you think we're gonna see them settle into a rotation, or are we still gonna kind of get a few games here of well, you know, try it out? Like wh- where do you think they are with that? Well, it's a great question. Before we get to that, though, I want to. I like to do these mind-blowing stats for you, Rich. So okay. Yeah, I love it. You, do you want to hear the the latest mind-blowing stat? We were talking about leaning. Remember when you, you were mentioning leaning on Todd Gurley for those yards after the catch? Well, now a lot of that is, you know, they will do some dump-off passes to, rec- to uh, running backs, which is good because they were very much lacking in that part of their layup option plan last year and checkdowns, things like that were terrible. Well, they are still leaning extraordinarily heavily, much, much heavier um, on those yak yards still. Jared Goff is his intended yards per passing attempt is 6.2. Intended air yards, intended air yards per passing attempt is 6.2. That's his average so far through five games. Completed air yards per passing attempt is four. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, his yak yards per completion is actually 7.0. So the bulk of Jared Goff's yardage, essentially, um, is coming, well, nearly nearly half of Jared Goff's completion, uh, his total yards per completion um, is coming after the catch. And he actually has 768 of his... 1,372 yards um, have come after the catch this year. Isn't that insane? It is. Um, I think that's a great note. I, I, I bet that makes Sean McVay smile, you know, to, to yeah. hear that because uh, that's if, – if you can do that, I mean, that's that's pretty fantastic. And who, who did we see it a lot with uh, this week? You know, Gerald Everett doing, doing yeah. a good job with that, taking a couple of those short passes and really, uh, you know, fighting and, and muscling his way for, for extra yardage. So, yeah, yeah I, I really think – I mean, you, you go back again, go back to 2017, 2018 with some of those, some of those big – memorable plays it, it wasn't always you know the the moon balls you know dead deep uh, you know over to, to Brandon Cooks or anything like that it was it was those plays where uh, make a catch in traffic and and you know turn a corner and 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 find find some space and run into it I mean how many plays did Cooper Cup uh, make like that in in 2017 and 2018 so so to see them getting back to that um, very good I think it makes Jared more comfortable too and it does uh, yeah it does. He had a 0.0, quote unquote, bad throw percentage last game. Wow. Yeah, he's pretty comfortable, I would say. The other thing is that it does, um, and you touched on this, it is a really cool, interesting way that the chess match sort of plays out with this because teams are looking at these numbers, right? These are advanced passing stats. Teams are definitely looking at them in their meeting rooms. Well, they see all of these yak yards and immediately are going to play the Rams tighter. And right. so what, what can you do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, I, I love this almost as much as I love a good discount, Rich. <laughs> 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 yes. I mean, it's just beautiful. So really what I think Sean McVay's answer should have been, 
when I asked and Gary Klein uh, at the LA Times was asking these great questions about the vertical passing game. And I, um, and we, I think we both wrote about it this week, actually. And right. I was asking Sean, like, well, okay, because I really wanted to know, well, how do you, how do you measure explosive plays? And that sort of led me on this, right. this little tangent that now I am about to, this is the big reveal. What I think he should have answered, but didn't because of gamesmanship and trying to hide his cards is, we are passing vertically because we're setting up for the middle of the season. Uh, yeah, some of its coverages and, and contours and things like that. I, yes, absolutely. But what I really, what, what the real life answer was, was actually we're, we're building up a crap load of, of yak yards and underneath stuff so that we fi- defenses aren't even going to know it's coming when we finally go deep because they're going to think we can't go deep. And yeah. that's just part of the gamesmanship of football, but they're doing it very well. And to me, I, I think that's fun. And then you, obviously if you're in a press conference, you can't answer it that way. Right. So, but these right. numbers really, these numbers really tell that story. Um, because even, even with a couple of those deep passes, Jared Goff's intended air yards per pass attempt was still only marginally higher than his average. And so I, I you know, it, it's very much like I said, the seasoning on your food, like it's just really a, a, a weapon that they'll be able to unfurl. And, and like you very astutely mentioned, something that all of their receivers do well. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, people, when they, when they lost Brandon Cooks or traded Brandon Cooks, I think people said, well, who's going to be the deep threat? Well, all of these guys are. I mean, they're, none of them are, are your typical burners who you just you are going to beat somebody in a 100-yard dash. But they're so smart and they're so good with their footwork and, and things like that. I mean, the, the plays that Cooper Cup makes, it's not because he's faster than anybody on the football field. I, I don't think he is. Uh, but but it's it's the things that the subtle things that he does uh, and and the way that Jared Goff can can read those and and know what's going to happen. I mean that's what makes those plays work. And you know Robert Woods being such a technician with with what he does. I mean those are things that. Uh, you can talk about speed, and, and speed is definitely a, a great element in, in the NFL. But when you have receivers who can do the kind of things that the Rams do, it just it opens up pretty much anything uh, for you. So, so that's very uh, impressive to, to see. So, uh, how about that? How about the run game, though, Jordan? Where, yes. where do you where do you think? Let's we're... get back on topic. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just because I think it's very interesting, and I, again, I, I don't think it's a negative. But, you know, the Rams are still kind of you know the the carry are kind of all over the place one you know one guy one game one guy the next where do you think things are headed I know you've been watching Sean McVay too long because you will try everything in your power to continue to establish the run rich so that's right I, <laughs> I think this is <laughs> a I think subliminal this is message yeah. I know this is like this is officially uh this we've we're establishing the run okay so first of all cam Akers. okay if you guys don't want to hear something really gnarly, go ahead and po- like mute us for the next 30 seconds because we're going to talk about the Cam Akers injury. Uh, spoke with Cam Akers this week. He said, yes, first of all, in fact, separating rib, rib cartilage is quite painful. <laughs> and Ouch. additionally, the way he did it was on that carry, and we all saw him, you know, the carry where he he got buried under like three defensive linemen, three three massive defensive linemen. So he ha- he was cradling the football. Well, it shifted a little bit, and as he went to the ground and then was dogpiled on by these massive bodies, the pointy end of the football 
basically stuck him between his ribs. Oh, well, ouch. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. I, I, well, I'm not hungry anymore, first no, of all. No. Yeah. Second of all, like, that's just gnarly. And, and sometimes you forget the situational physicality and pain that, that happens throughout the course of this game because sometimes everything looks so slick and everyone's making clean tackles, but oh my goodness gracious, the things that can happen down there, lost fingernails, broken pinkies and dislocated everything, even, even stuff that doesn't even, a guy doesn't even leave the field for. And then in this case, obviously that's just excruciating pain. At that point, you're just doing everything you can to not move until people pull the bodies off of you um, in the pile. And it's just like, oh my gosh, but he's back this week or he's back last week, but he's really back this week. He was, as Sean McVay said, actually a little limited last week, which is why we, you know, we saw mostly Daryl Henderson, some Malcolm Brown in those short yardage situations and sort of those downhill situations. And then Cam Akers did come in and and had, you know, 60 some yards and did a really nice job on one play, um, you know, finding a hole. And then that downfield burst was good. Obviously didn't expect a 4-4 capability defensive end to be wow. chasing after him yeah. um, in Montez Sweat. But that guy is very, very fast. And so especially on a straight line. So, um, you know, that's kind of what happened there. He got pushed out of bounds. But this week you're going to see Sean said, obviously Cam Akers snaps will increase against San Francisco. This week I think you're going to see really the first real, true, healthy iteration of what this running back by committee is because they've had to adjust constantly the last several weeks due to injury. You know, they needed to, even in game, you know, if Daryl Henderson took a really bad shot, um, I think it was last week and Malcolm Brown came in and then, you know, they needed to go downhill because the way the giants were loading up the box and sort of scheming them. And so then Malcolm Brown was in and nothing was working for them. And then now, you know, obviously Cam Akers is out. And then last week he was still a little bit limited against um, Washington. And so now you're really going to see what the true iteration of the Rams sort of three-headed monster, they like to call it, will be. And I think that's going to be, I think it's going to be interesting. I think it's pretty much what we think it is and what we've been reporting and writing about over here about Cam Akers being probably by the end of the year will move into sort of that league back position because he's just he just runs just the way that he runs is so aware very very physical but at the same time extremely fluid he's he's hard to tackle I remember uh Panthers players were telling me about why Alvin Kamara is so hard to tackle and it's because like one side of his body kind of goes limp when you put contact so it's almost like um like when like flubber, like float, like just sliding right. away from you. Um, right. or like when, when oil hits water, because you just can't get a handle on, on him and you can't, you can't wrap correctly because you know, he's, he's intentionally sort of m- just making himself really, really hard to tackle. He's just, you know, this can makers just fluid. Like he's both physical and fluid. Dale Henderson, I think is, has so much potential and is probably going to be used very closely in tandem with can makers. I love what he can also do in the passing game, he's, I think he's very, very special, particularly if you can get him matched up against the linebacker. And then Malcolm Brown, you know, the the veteran leader in the in the room, definite red zone guy, definite short yardage guy, definite downhill when necessary guy. 
definite run the clock down guy. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that's what you're going to see. Yeah, I think it sets up well. I was a little surprised that, uh, you know, Sean came out and, and pretty much said, you're going to see more Cam Akers next week. I was like, wow, that's, first of all, it's not something, I think, I think Sean was almost giddy. Like, I know you you talked to him, uh, you were on the call with him after the game. I, I kind of, you know, listening to it and, and reading the comments, I was like, wow, he was he was really happy um, after that game. Maybe it had something to do with beating his, uh, his former franchise. I have a feeling he was Perhaps. a little fired up uh, <laughs> about that, but, but for him, to say that I was like, well, th- this is either this is either some really like you know next level chess deflection, or or he really does intend uh, to to go to Cam Akers, and and uh, I I agree, great great way to describe you know the way that that Cam Akers runs, and there were so many times on on Sunday when you when you looked at it and you thought, oh, that's that that play isn't going anywhere, and and then he has that ability to just kind of even though like you said he's running physical, he's he's still finding ways to kind of kind of dance through there to kind of kind of evade those tackles when when you think he would uh, you know not have a lot of space so uh, very impressive and uh, I'm I'm eager to see you know where, where they where they go with that but just uh, uh, to, to see him come back in uh, I can't even imagine how much pain uh, that that poor guy must have been in but uh, uh, very impressive um, Jordan what do we do I mean we talked about Aaron Donald I, I don't know whether there's a whole lot more that needs to be said about the defense <laughs> than Aaron Donald but we you got to give a shout out to Troy Reader, right? I mean, how yes. about this guy? Like, you know, so many questions. The Rams ended up not, you know, being with with either one of their uh, starting inside uh, linebackers, and uh, puts Troy Reader in, in a position not not an unfamiliar position for him because he did it a lot last year with some of the injuries that that the Rams had. But uh, let me tell you, Troy Reader did not have a game last year the the way that he did this year. So what, what were you uh, what were you thinking when you watched him play? Well, I was thinking good good job by defensive coordinator Brandon Staley because he adjusted in a way that didn't set up Troy Reader to fail. And it, it could have been that because it was at first. Troy Reader was in coverage a couple of times and got his ass beat. And yeah. then all of a sudden you see them adjust and now they're using extra defensive backs and Troy Reader's playing very, very close to the line of scrimmage where he is better and can make sort of those one, one gap, one touch physical plays that he's very aware of and, and much, much better at making. And they were using him as a green dog, which means when defensive linemen were occupied by offensive linemen and there were open gaps, Troy Reader was waiting until initial contact in front of him, those gaps open up. And he's not even technically being sent on a designed blitz, but it's just a full green dog situation. So he's just sliding right through the open gap and getting those three sacks. Yeah. And 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 he he was the first one to admit it. He's like, yeah. <laughs> After the game, he's like, yeah, you know, uh, it was actually all the defensive line. They're doing a lot of cool stuff in front of me. Well, <sighs> they were they were occupying the guys they needed to occupy and and just leaving those spaces open. And Troy Reader, it's like literally the pie was on the counter. Troy Reader walked right through an open door and grabbed the pie. Oh. And I'm now, hungry again. Now we're talking about. <laughs> now we moved on to dessert. We've I gone know. from this from the smoker <laughs> to the seasoning, and now we finished it off, and we are here with some nice Troy Reader dessert. But yeah, uh, yeah, no, it just I, was I, smart. It was smart. Yeah, I mean, it yeah. really was because he's not. I don't mean this as a you know a mean thing or a negative thing at him, but he's just not good in coverage. Right. He would probably tell you that as well. 
So they're not putting him in coverage. I mean, it seems so simple, but all the time these coaches, they say this. It's like the number one coach speak term is we really want to set our guys up in a position to be successful. Well, like that's got like a 50% hit rate across the league because half the time coaches are not doing that with their players. If a player is not good at something, don't put them in that situation, especially if you can complement a lack of ability in that regard by loading up your middle part and the back part of your field with very, very talented defensive backs, very versatile, aggressive, and um, very smart defensive backs, which is what they did. And so that countered, I mean, Washington was not moving the ball at all, first of all, but that really countered anything that they might have been able to do. And then also allowed Troy Reader not only to be a stopgap just in case, you know, it's a running play and he's got to now um, contain in that regard or literally walking right through and and taking down the quarterback. I mean, some of those gaps that were open for him, it was almost like watching uh, in, a, in an alternate universe him at running back behind a really good offensive line. Right, <laughs> like, right. That's that's how open some of those gaps were for him to just walk through. And he and and it's it it takes patience to be able to do that correctly. It takes patience, it takes great vision, and it takes um obviously a good physicality to be able to then get there in that one perfect second when you know that gap is going to be open. So I, I thought they schemed them their front seven, <clears throat> I thought they schemed them as near perfectly as they as they possibly could have. And it was really, um, I thought it was really special. You know, that it also, again, you're not you're not doing a lot if you're Washington downfield. You're not, the, the most right. success they had was when they were getting Antonio Gibson working in a similar way that, that Scott Turner used Christian McCaffrey as sort of like this safety net for, for Kyle Allen. Whatever Kyle wanted to do with the ball, Christian was always his first read. And that, that was really what they were doing with Antonio Gibson. And so at that point, maybe you have a few problems because they're presenting just things that you haven't often had to deal with in that regard. It, it, Antonio Gibson's a very good football player. But the second they were able to contain that, you take away most of their dimension and now you're able to assert on defense. And a lot of times... Uh, Michael Brocker said this really well after the game. A lot of times they're doing this thing called playing it true, where they're responding to what they're seeing and they're they're countering. But in a game like yesterday, and I noted this in my column, you could see the moment, and this was Aaron Donald throwing Kyle Allen like a rag doll, eight, eight yards behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah. Um, that's when they began to assert. And that's, I think, a really important special moment for a defense, not just to experience in the course of a game, but to know what it feels like to be in that mode and then to assert constantly through the rest of the game. Um, If you get that feeling early and you understand how you operate within that space, not just on a physical level, but on a mental level, that is extremely important down the stretch. Oh, absolutely. I, it's, it's one of those things where, again, you, you have to, I think you have to look at it independent of the opponent because you can look at Washington and say, well, the bad, bad team, bad offense, you know, they, 
uh, look, we, we should say, I mean, Alex Smith, what a, what a remarkable, what an amazing story. Yeah, uh, fantastic. For, for, I mean, wow. I mean, I, I know every, I think everybody was tweeting it. So it's not, I'm not saying anything unique here, but I think we were all kind of holding our breath a little bit. Just like, please, you know, no, I'm not cheering for anybody. I'm not cheering for any team, but please just, just let this go. Okay. For Alex Smith. And, and I know, I think everybody, regardless of who you were uh, rooting for, felt that way. But I, I say that to mean that I think you can look at that Rams defensive effort independent of the opponent and say that was sharp. That was that was a good uh, a defensive effort. Uh, a couple injuries, Jordan. Uh, think anything to be concerned about there, and and anything else we need to say about this Rams defense? I mean, we covered uh, pretty much the big elements. Uh, Darius Williams, another uh, another another red dot game for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what do we think? Anything else there? Or how about those injuries? Are you, are you worried at all, at all about Jordan Fuller? About Oboe? Um, anything like that? I am. I think I'm a little more concerned just because they don't know immediately what the status is. So if they immediately knew what the status is for Oboe, who has a strained elbow, um, say that six times fast, that's yeah. just, that's fantastic. Um, or Jordan Fuller, who uh, sort of re-aggravated the shoulder that he um, sat out a couple games with. Um, it, it was described to me as a little bit more of a stinger situation. So that's, you could work through that, but it's a little bit fickle. So I'm not, you know, I'm not super worried, but you know, you would, you would think, you would hope that they would have a more immediately presentable status by McVay um, during his Monday press conference, but instead they're a little bit tentative. Probably both guys are probably going to rest on Wednesday. So that's a little bit more tentative for Sunday. I still don't think it's anything crazy to be concerned about with either player. A couple more points I did want to hit on the defense before yeah. we wrap up, Rich. First of all, um, how much do you love seeing Jalen Ramsey playing in the slot? Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's 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 everything we we thought it would be, and. Uh, it's it's not something I would have thought of. I got to be honest with you. I mean, it, if you'd asked me last year, like, is that something you would do? I would have said, no. Are you crazy? But uh, to see it happening is is pretty phenomenal. Yeah, and you, I think when you immediately hear about it, you operate under the assumption that because he's playing in the slot, maybe that means he's being taken away from locking right. down uh, a number one receiver. But when you look at it. A lot of these number one receivers now travel all up and down the line of scrimmage. They are, I mean, you saw it with Golden Tate a couple weeks ago. He was running routes out of the slot. Some number one receivers on a team is a tight end. And so I think it's a, it's, it's kind of like, man, you just think about it and you're like, this maybe seems like perhaps the simplest possible good solution and good decision. It just right. seems so simple. Like, of course you're going to play him right. so he can be everywhere at once. Like, of course you're going to, you know, he's he's just, he's versatile. He is long and physical and smart. So, of course you're going to, you know, play him closer to the line of scrimmage a lot of times where he can cover the the tight ends, where he can cover the, the number one receivers who are in the slot or the really versatile receivers who go in, into the slot or even work out of sort of the, the second interior um, receiving position. Um, of course you're going to do that. Of course you're going to send him on blitz packages. I mean, my goodness. Right. But then you just never, it never was put together for him by any previous 
defensive coordinator. So you just think, oh, he's an island corner. Right. Okay. You know, good for him. Like quarterbacks are never going to throw to him. He maybe had a couple years where, yes, people are testing him. And now he just gets to sort of be on his island and then just sort of retire on his island. Um, but no, the Jalen Ramsey is not, first of all, the type of person who would ever settle for that. <laughs> and second of all, Brandon Staley comes in and he looks at, at this guy and he's like, why the hell are you only playing on the outside? <laughs> right, right. And in hindsight, it's like, of, co- of course they make that decision. But in the moment, because, you, you know, it, it's like he, he's only ever done that in the league. He played all over the place at Florida State, but he's only ever done the island thing in the league. And so you just think, OK, he's their island corner now. you got to figure out, you know, what the rest of the four or five or six guys are going to do. OK, but now um, it's it's very it's very interesting, the rotation that they have in that defensive backfield. And they can they can make it work because Darius Williams has taken that next step forward. Troy Hill has been solid on the outside. I don't doubt that Jalen Ramsey is going to match against another. When they, when they play Tampa Bay, by the way, as the Sean McVay, quote unquote, you should have hired me tour continues. Um, when they play Tampa Bay <laughs> and, you know, you got Mike Evans and probably Chris Godwin is back by then. And you've got those two really dominant receivers. I mean, that's going to be interesting because then you're going to see, I think you're going to see Jalen Ramsey travel with the number one on the outside a little bit more, right? But but in in when you don't have to do that, you're kind of just wasting him. So it's just, a, right. I think, just really smart. And it's so funny because it's almost like, man, you want to be the defensive coordinator that thought of that because that's like right. – that's like flowers for you, right? That's like crazy, crazy benefit, like positive reviews for you if you're the guy who thought of that. When in, in hindsight, it seems like, well, why not? Right. And then the other thing I wanted to point out is I, I loved what you said about like, even though it was a bad opponent, it, it, it you cannot take away anything from what this defense was able to do because they are still technically installing and rolling out a new defense. And so on Sunday all of the pieces looked more complete within that defense. It was almost like, this sounds mean because, you know, I, I don't want to disrespect the Washington team, but it's almost like when you watch them go through a walkthrough and you see where all the pieces are supposed to be and you're like, oh, wow, that's really cool. That's very exciting. That's new. That's different. Wow, that's neat. Right. And then the first few weeks, I just didn't see a lot of similar concepts because they're just playing different opponents and they're putting everything together little by little. Well, week five, I think that was the most complete iteration of what you see from the Rams defense moving forward in terms of all the pieces being where they need to be, minus probably Troy Reader. No offense to Troy Reader, but when Micah Kaiser is probably coming back this week, so that will be different. But it just, I thought that was, it was interesting. It was like, um, you know, you've got the, you've got the outline and now you're sort of filling in all of the, all of the paint and all of the watercolor now at this point. So, um, right. I thought it was, I thought it was really interesting, but Rich, I, I know, uh, you might kill me for asking this question, but I really need to get your thoughts on Sam Sloman before we wrap up. Oh boy. Um, look, it's, you want to think that it's going to turn around for the young guy. Uh, it's just that these games are going to get tighter and, and eventually the Rams are going to find themselves in a situation where they need a big kick. And I, I don't know. It's, it's just the consistency issues are, are a little bit scary. And I, I'm not saying that there's a better option out there. I know, uh, you know, fans get a little, 
anxious and eager looking at the waiver wire and who else they might be able to sign and you know should they go get Liram back what should they do I, I don't know there at this point there, there might not be a, a better option but it's when you start missing extra points and and things like that uh, it's it's a little bit scary and obviously they picked the guy who they thought had the highest ceiling uh, maybe they still think that as the season goes along that he gets a little more comfortable builds confidence but uh, <laughs> I don't know George how many more I mean how many more before you you really start to look at it and say uh, you don't you don't want to put this guy in a situation where uh, he's he's either winning or losing the game for you it's it's I'm not saying they're there yet, but I think they're getting close. Yeah, you you really have to wonder. I don't know the answer to this question. Yeah. I don't know how long. I don't know how vast the Sean McVay patience pool is. I don't know how much has already drained out. I would assume quite a bit, <laughs> considering. Yes. But also, there's some ownership that Sean had taken on, in that Buffalo game of shouldn't have sent the kicker out in in you know hella crosswind and fit for a 53 yard kick right even though by the way we were reminded a couple of times that the reason why Sam Sloman won this job was because he had the leg strength and was nailing his kicks from range right the last week of camp so okay so of course you send him out but anyway I digress uh no you're right yeah, yeah. but you know I it's 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 like Yes, you're giving him time and patience to develop. Normally, you would get four preseason games to do that. Right. You would get maybe two, maybe three games in decent conditions to see if you are progressing. So if I'm going to guess, I would say his quote-unquote window is maximum eight games uh, in order to show, okay, I've really taken, taken the necessary steps forward. But then the question comes okay, if he if he maybe hasn't, like, let's say he's bad, but he doesn't lose them a game. If he's right. bad, but he doesn't lose them a game, at that point, again, you don't have that recency outlier bias where you're like, okay, this kid cannot do this, right? Right. So I, I, I'm really interested in, because, because every time we, every time we ask, it's like, we, you know, we've got to give him some time. And the indication is that there's going to, you know, there's patience. Yes, he needs to be more consistent. Yes, he needs to continue to develop and take those steps forward. But I always wonder, how long is the leash? And I just don't, you know, I don't know. If, I, if it were me, <laughs> I am not a patient woman. So <laughs> I, it's a good thing I'm not you know, judging this competition, it's a good thing I'm I'm not making any of these decisions. But the other thing that hurts them is by this point, you pretty much know all the kickers across the league, you know who they are, what they're capable of at this point. You know right. what the sort of the metrics are. You have a good sample size. Well, you and and if if a kicker is still available, it means he couldn't get the job done somewhere else. Right. 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 So it's almost like, okay, what's your risk? you know, your risk or reward bias or your risk reward balance, how does that weigh into it? Because you've got a kid who is suspiciously inconsistent in certain things that need to absolutely be fixed. Point after attempts being my number one thing <laughs> that I oh, think yeah. oh, would yeah. be. But also, um, you know, how much how much worse could a guy off the street be? And you don't know because if you're a coach – 
you've been watching your guy for the last five weeks. You haven't right. been watching these guys off the street. So right, right. I think I think that's all kind of a part of the psychological process of all of this, which is, well, I'm glad I'm not the one uh, evaluating. No, no. <laughs> same here, because I'm not saying I would do it any better. But I, I like your eight game. That takes you right to the bye week, too. Yes. So if you don't have the confidence uh, halfway through the season, at least you can bring somebody in with a a bye week situation and, and make the change. I agree. I would not wait until until it costs you a game. Uh, maybe it won't come to that, but I, I think you have to have a sense of it before it, it comes to that. But uh, Jordan, maybe maybe we can end here uh, because the San Francisco 49ers, uh, is, is this a game that's going to come down to a last second field goal? You, you might've thought so, but now the 49ers are struggling and they've had some injury issues. They, uh, they have a Jimmy G issue, uh, apparently, I don't know, Jordan, is this, is this a wounded animal situation with, with the 49ers or are they going to be, uh, in a little bit of a bounce back situation next week, uh, against the Rams? I, I, I think that's a, a fascinating game, even though the 49ers are uh, are struggling a little bit at two and three right now. I think wounded, but not dead, right? Right. right. So don't get too close or that's try to make nice because then your hand's going to get bit, right? So that's right. That's right. Just I think that's the main thing is don't underestimate, understand where they're at, and look at it in a clear lens, but don't underestimate them, I think is is the key here. And it's going to be really nice. It's only a couple hours of travel. Well, even less, like maybe like, what isn't it like an hour plane ride? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's an hour, last, yeah. yeah. And then also um, same time zone. So that's going to be something they're going to feel spoiled by the time they get there. But Rich, it's a winnable game. Just don't be too nice to them. I think. <laughs> That's right. Uh, these games are always great. Rams 49ers, the, the last, especially in the, you know, the Sean McVay area era and uh, with, with Kyle uh, coming in there. Great matchups. Always, always look forward to them. I know the Rams fans love the games against the 49ers. So, so I'm really, really eager uh, uh, to see that one. Jordan, you of course will have uh, great coverage all this week. I wanted, I didn't want to interrupt you when you were talking about Jordan Fuller, but I wanted to make sure that everybody, if they haven't already goes on the athletic, the app and the website to read uh, what is just a tremendous uh, feature on, on Jordan Fuller, but it's more than that. It's, it's a deep look into the Rams draft process and how they make decisions. And really, even beyond that, I'll take it another layer. There, there's some really good nuggets in there about the defense and, and the types of things that Brandon Staley uh, values. So I, I, I know a lot of people have read it already, but if you haven't, uh, it, no better time than, than right now. Jump on the app, jump on the website and, and read that story. And Jordan, I know you'll be uh, previewing uh, that uh, Rams uh, 49ers, uh, we always do our mailbags every week. I know you've got another story coming. So another great week of content ahead. On, on the athletic no pressure <laughs> it'll all be great it'll all be great <laughs> yeah and you know what if you guys subscribe to our podcast 11 personnel podcast on the athletic you you do get a discount we are still running a dollar a month deal on the athletic podcast app you can also find us on apple podcasts if you go to us through apple podcasts you should probably leave us a review. We like five stars, but if you want to leave 4.9, also understand. Um, we, we read everything you guys send to us. Um, I read all your questions. I try to get to all your comments. And so definitely keep sending those along. 
I am Jordan Rodrigue at Jordan Rodrigue. My fabulous co-host is at Rich underscore Hammond. Find us on Twitter. Follow us. Interact with us. Uh, send us uh, send us dog photos. You know, we like it all, right, Rich? Food. Uh, any food tips? Oh that my you god! Have? Yeah. Any food tips? Any food tips that you have? And you never know what you're going to get here with us on the Eleven Personnel Podcast. Thank you guys for listening and subscribing. Find us over at the Athletic Los Angeles. Some great Lakers content up there right now. By the way. Uh, seems like that's something that uh, Los Angelinos would be interested in. So uh, definitely make sure you check that out. And thanks again for tuning in. 